0: intent and revenue potential data to help you accelerate revenue thanks for listening
1: welcome back everybody to another episode of sunny side up once again i'm your host asher matthew and i'm super excited to have vic Matarata on the show with us today to talk about sales enablement simplified vic welcome to the show hey asher thank
0: you for having me today i'm excited to be here to talk about sales enablement simplified I'm super jealous of where you are, Vic. Let's tell the audience where you're at. You know, Asher, we are in a pandemic at the moment, and I feel that the strongest for anyone can do is just work remotely. And we can do work from anywhere we possibly can. And I chose to spread my wings and really to exuberate and really take in the sun and the sand and the nice weather here in the island of Hawaii. Uh, I've been here for, what, three weeks, and it's been a fantastic run so far. But to tell you the truth, it's been really helping my mental health and it's bringing me back to the ground, not just in the sand, but also just bringing me to a place where I can bring the most, not just to the company, but also to my customers, to my family, and to a lot of my friends out there.
1: Super jealous. I'm still super jealous. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today. You've got a very interesting story.
0: Uh, Are you talking about Hawaii or are you talking about Korea?
1: (laughs) Well, you just talked to us about how you got to Hawaii. So how about you tell us how you got to where you are in your career?
0: Good question. So um, actually, I I think it it really started when my parents came from India back in 1975 uh, in, in Canada, actually. So I'm born in Canada, born and raised in Toronto. They ingrained us from the beginning of the value of money and the value of how to earn that dollar and with the importance of not just saving, but when you save the money, how do you spend that money intelligently? Uh, and it didn't come easy to us, you know, to work for a lot of the things that we have today. And I think we were blessed with having the four seasons in Canada. Uh, so, I, you know, I'll start off right to the top. I was, uh, you know, my birthday's in October and it started snowing and I think maybe the snow just fell onto my lap and I started shoveling driveways and started that sales hustle back then going door to door and really finding ways to earn a dollar. And then switching over to, to springtime, really helping clean and do spring cleaning in a lot of people's garages. And then slowly we found out, we're at summertime here in Toronto and uh, and we started cutting grass. And it was a really good way to, again, keep that income coming, but also learning how to save save money at the same time. And then full stop, we come back to the fall and the leaves start falling and we start picking up those leaves. Uh, slowly I found that my pile of money was was incrementing and I was hiding it underneath my uh, mattress, but then my dad helped me open my first bank account. And I think that's when it really started dawning to me where you could see, we used a bank book to see the balances grow, but also going to the bank and writing a check or depositing money and talking to the teller. It was really a way to just understand how business worked and how finances work and the importance of the hard work that went into every dollar that you were earning. But I, re- I really wasn't spending much, but I was always dying to get a remote control Camaro. I'll never forget it was a black remote control Camaro from consumers distributing. Sweet. And, and how did you get from there to Salesforce? Well, there was a journey in between. You know, I, I took the momentum of working for myself and earning those dollars by shoveling snow and cutting grass and raking leaves and doing uh, spring cleaning. I then uh, started my own company, and it was that was somewhere in high school where I th- I felt that like I wanted to continue uh, going on that journey of entrepreneurship. So I started my own company. It was a wireless technology company where we got on the uplift of selling cell phones to individuals. And then we moved into selling to companies. So first B2C, then B2B. And then slowly and surely we found out that cell phones were breaking and people needed to repair those antennas. I might be uh, showcasing my age here, but uh, it was a good time to make some high margins on those antennas. So we started fixing antennas and getting into repair and so on and so forth. Uh, And then after that, uh, cable boxes started appearing and we started selling into our install base and started selling cable boxes to those cell phone users. And then we got into more high-value consulting where we were selling in bulk solutions, whether it was sales, service, and consulting to more B2B customers. And then from there, um, we felt that, you know, my parents' garage was getting super full and they wanted me to strive to really get into corporate America. And I applied for a job at Accenture and I got uh, inducted into their CRM, wireless community practice, where I did a lot of post-merger integration for companies such as Time Warner Cable, Verizon, Rogers in Canada, and and companies alike. Wow. And then how did you get to Salesforce from there? Well, it was, uh, I'll never forget it. I was in Philadelphia working at Comcast, and there was a ton of travel happening, and I had just crossed a million miles by the time I was 27, 28, and I felt to myself I needed to get grounded. And so I went to Facebook and I saw a close friend of mine and he posted a role at Salesforce, saying hiring salespeople at Salesforce. And I knew what Salesforce was, and as Accenture was being uh, providing a lot of offerings for Salesforce. And I felt that hey, this is the time for me to maybe uh, touch down in Toronto, buy a place in Toronto, and really start a new job and a new career for uh, a hot company when it was maybe 2,000 employees, 3,000 employees back in 2011. So. I um, got tired of the travel, I interviewed for the job at Salesforce, successfully landed the role as an account executive in the Toronto office. And funny story, I, I walked into the office my first day and I had my shirt tucked in, I had my Banana Republic outfit ready to go. I thought I was such a rock star until someone told me in the office and he said, hey, you gotta lose what you're wearing. Like, you know, this whole tucked in shirt business and these slacks and these dress shoes, they don't fly here. And I looked around and I thought, maybe he's right. I saw blue jeans, I saw blazers and I saw running shoes. So I slowly made the shift, not just in my career, but also my wardrobe and I got rid of all the banana Republic consulting gear. And I walked right into the, the, uh, the wardrobe of like dark blue jeans and, and, and fancy blazers and, and shirts that were tucked out, uh, and enjoyed and my uh, start of my sales career at Salesforce.
1: Superb. And
0: then what are you doing these days? Uh, my goal was eventually to land with San Francisco, uh, but before we got to San Francisco, I got an offer uh, to uh, to help open the Chicago office. So, about a bunch of us from Toronto moved to Chicago, and I was offered the ability to lead uh, the sales enablement practice in in, uh, in Chicago. So, we built Chicago. We led. Uh, we went from maybe 15 employees to 660 employees until uh, I left Chicago. But in parallel, I also led sales enablement uh, in the New York office as well as in our Atlanta office and um, I want to give a shout out to Doug Erpenbeck who was the leader that, uh, that believed in me and brought me over to Chicago and taught me everything about sales enablement and really drove all the practices in in what I, uh, in the practice that I built and then I eventually landed in San Francisco to help build some product and then I landed uh, to do some product marketing so I took the skills that I learned in sales enablement uh, to, and in management and consulting and delivered that in product, product marketing. And then I went back to my roots at Accenture and everything that I learned at Salesforce. And now I'm in the marketing and go-to-market space at Salesforce, Salesforce, where we are welcoming by integrating all of our incoming companies that we've acquired into the uh, Salesforce Ohana, like we like to call it. Wow.
1: All
0: right. Well, sounds like you've spent quite a bit of time in
1: sales enablement, so let's dive into it. And sales enablement is one of those, I would say functions or fields that's very similar to product marketing. Like everybody has their own definition of what it is based on their experiences. And most people start at one point with either function and then keep iterating till they figure out what works for them and then go for it, right? So was your journey like that? Or let's start with even defining sales enablement.
0: Sure. I think uh, it, it's a really broad, broad field, I'd say, Asher. So I like the way you teed it up because if you go to a company like Salesforce, and I'll use that as an example because that's where I work at the moment. You know, there is a product marketer that's responsible for sales enablement, but then someone may argue that say, well, doesn't sales enablement own the sales enablement track? Well, they work together. Here at the company, we have a sales enablement function, but then the product marketers play a key role in delivering the message and the positioning on how to deliver the right message to the salespeople, but they work with sales enablement leaders I know that's a bit of a spaghetti um, uh, uh, web right there, but if I break it down for you, uh, sales enablement is the ability to provide the right tools to salespeople to make them comfortable with their product offering so they can take that material, turn it into their own language, or they can interpret it in their own way to convert that to a customer so they can deliver it in the way that's meaningful for the customer. So they're not taking what product marketing is really delivering on a slide. But they're providing they're getting the ability to take what product marketing is delivering it to them, but making it into their own words and their own terms to deliver it in a way that sales can consume, but ultimately provide that end result to the customer so they understand exactly what we're saying and they can remove all the marketing jargon from in between. So so this is fantastic. The point that you're hitting
1: on right now, and it's not it has not come up on any of the product marketing podcasts that I've done, but the relationship between product marketing and sales enablement. And if they live and breathe together, then one is working externally to make sure that they're up to date on the market trends, the competitive landscape, the macro trends, and also are informing some of the product roadmaps. But at the same time, They are working internally with a force, let's call it the sales enablement force right? to garner or uh, educate and inform or help people experience some of the new technology that's going to come out. So people are well prepared. And the word that you use, I think, is, is is spot on. You have to make the salespeople comfortable and and they have to either experience the product or experience the pain or maybe both. But they have to get to a level of comfort so that they can internalize that information, right? And so I would love to like dive into, if you're able to, to share a couple of techniques of like what have you learned or by either by education or by exposure or just by experience, right? On the tips and tricks for sales enablement to be successful. Because in most companies, it isn't.
0: Really good question, Asher. It's hard to really think about where to start, but I think the way we like to interpret this is: how do we deliver sales and then link to its scales? You know, I'll use Excel first as an example. We grew from so we're hiring thousands of new account executives. That's one thing, but we're hiring them all around the world. So there's different language barriers, there's different cultural barriers, but then there's also different ways where we learning barriers. So do people like to learn in person? Do they like to consume in video? Do they like to hear podcasts like the amazing sunny side up that we're working with right now like what are different ways that people consume content but what sticks the most and that's what's super important uh, i used to be on the trailhead product marketing team and trailhead's a learning platform here at salesforce and we deliver that uh, using textual and other types of interaction uh, tools within trailhead as a, as a way to help enable our sales our, our sales people but if you think about it we deliver in three ways it's either in person or we deliver it um, we drive it in textual format, or we do it via video. They're all extremely, extremely effective, but for us to scale, we felt that webinars and delivering a video is the better way to scale, but also Trailheads also help you to scale because it allows learners to learn on their own time and it's a bite-sized consumable format. So those are the ways that we thought about it. Then, of course, in-person training is massively, massively impactful now. Where we are right now, in-person training is not the most uh, you know, convenient way, but there's ways that we did in-person certification. So if I want to start off there, we did something called stand and deliver. So when we deliver a new product to market, product marketing will deliver and create the positioning and the messaging for that product. But how do we test the AEs to make sure that they're ready? This isn't a test to make sure that you know, they pass a grade. It's also something that they're comfortable learning as well. So we did something called stand and deliver. We would give them the materials and we would have a scoring rubric they would come to the table, we would share a video conferencing, and they would pitch the slide based on the scenario we would give to them. And then we would use a scoring rubric to provide them a score. There's a lot of tools out there that help us succeed that we built ours on the Salesforce platform. And there's other tools that we've built. So, you know, in between then that help, you know, to to expedite and to make that more interactive. But Standard Deliver has been a really popular tool that uh, that's worked here at, at the company for us. But also, I would imagine a lot of other companies are doing that. Secondly is webinars. We record webinars in our studio and consuming webinars, whether it's on your mobile device or it's on your phone, sorry, or if it's on your desktop, that's also really, really high impact because it's product marketers delivering the way, uh, delivering a message that, that AEs or account executives are used to consuming or listening and that's something that they could take back or prepare for their meeting before they have uh, before they get into their, um, their meeting with their customer. And lastly is, is a contextual format where they can read and they can do tests, they can do quizzes, they can do um, hands-on learning, they can really get into the product whether it's a technical um, salesperson, what they call solution engineers, or it's an account executive, more functional quarterbacks that are on the deals. Sometimes they get they may get asked questions that are technically about the product. Well, they the best way for anyone to learn about the product is to get hands-on with the tool, and we have those features and those tools available for them to really click around so they, they can tell the customer with confidence, hey, I've used this product, for example, and I've done this, so if I can use it, you can use it. So those are the three ways that we feel like we can deliver a solid sales enablement training or, or – um, Sort of sort of hands-on experience for the customer, for the for the account executive to take away and to deliver to their customers. So
1: thanks, thanks for sharing that. Now let's dive into what you said at the very end. If I can do it, so can you, right? Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Because I I I think what a lot of sales enablement leaders try to do is have the sales reps feel the pain that the customer is feeling. Right. And because that's the feeling or the emotion that you're trying to pass through, right? Because once you understand that this is a pain point and you can feel the pain, then you can work to educate the prospect or help them go through a transformation. Because if they're feeling the pain, they're going to somewhat deny everything that you're saying. Right. And but but you have to kind of work with them. And there's a mental I would say, blocking or tackling that's also happening and to have them walk to the promised land, right? And then you have to go through the whole, hey, I, this is a brand, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And you have to kind of be non-competitive. And so, so I guess let's talk about that last piece and then dive into your programs that you've created. How do they convey empathy towards the pain that the prospect is feeling?
0: Great question, and I'm happy to, to dive into this. So we created something called Do, Your, uh, Do My Job, DMJ, and if, if Doug is listening to this, he knows exactly what we did in Chicago. We called something called DMJ, We we made it really simple. We cut a DMJ 101, DMJ 201, and 301, so on and so forth. This was back in the Chicago days in what? In, I'd say 2013, 2014. Essentially what we did, Asher, was we created these hands-on experiences inside the actual Salesforce tool. So we wanted them to go in there and maybe create an opportunity change the stage cycle create uh, create a way where they can, they're they're asking for help from other teams in the company by clicking a button in the tool if they want competitive information we we actually had them go into the tool click the buttons create delete delete things make edits you know get into the tool and become hands on uh, open a dashboard create a report these were for a lot of reasons a for them to feel comfortable doing their own jobs for their own reasons but Nothing's more powerful when you're inside, when you're speaking to a C-level executive and you tell them, hey, let me show you how I do it. That's what gets people super excited. You kind of you broadcast your mobile device or your, or your desktop or your laptop and you show them how you do it. That's where the magic happens because let's call it, a lot of salespeople like to do old school using their own Google sheet or they write things down, they, have, they save it in Excel. But if you are showing the power of how you're excelling in your deals, and you're showing how you you're showing your buyers how you run your sales cycles or your customer service rep and you're telling them how you manage tickets by showing them how you do case management nothing is more compelling nothing by showing them how you use the tool because you're just as vulnerable as them you can tell them the pain point of where you used to you used to use but you the you could use the examples that you used before and how that improved your way of working by showing them live because there's nothing better than showing a live demo and showing them something live in productions and saying, hey, listen, I'm my hands are up. I'm gonna be completely vulnerable. This is how I learned how to do it. And then that's like the magical moment because you get a call from the AE and you say, you know what, that DMJ training, that do my job training was so helpful. It was painful at the beginning. I didn't think it was really meant for me, but gosh, when I showed my customer how I'd use the tool, it made me feel good, but it made, it it kind of, what they say lowered the filter. You know, if any customer interaction right now, you can't see me because we're on a podcast, but imagine I'm covering my eyes right now. And the more you speak and the more truthful you speak and the more vulnerable you become, your hands start going below your eyes and become the filter gets removed. And that's really the aha moment that the AEs like to feel and you create that connection with your customer where this is the person that I want to do business with. This person was vulnerable. They showed me how they use the tool. I want my sales reps to do the same thing. You know what? Next call I have, I'm going to invite the salespeople so they can see what's here, what's uh, what Vic is doing, and that's really where I want to shine. That's fantastic. It's it's not selling; it's actually
1: sharing for you guys. Because if you if you're doing that level of training and you have a unique perspective, then every executive will for sure listen to you because that's what they want, right? They don't want somebody to come and, and pitch them straight out of a script or a deck. They want somebody that can share something with them or empathize with them and then brainstorm with them, right? And so you've leveled the playing field by, uh, by introducing DMJ. Wow, thank you so much for sharing that. That's fantastic.
0: Absolutely, yeah, and it worked really, really well. And I, I you know, there's other versions of DMJ. This the, now, like after like so many years, and I don't know if it's called DMJ, but definitely that program has uh, cascaded into different areas. And I feel that Trailhead does a really good job of uh, of getting hands on with the training, and it's, and it's done a good job for us.
1: Terrific. Any other nuggets that you have based on your years of experience? Because even just these two are great, right? Like, like communicate over different channels. Uh, help people understand the lives of the, the, the prospects and create that experience, right?
0: What else uh, are you able to share with us? We do certifications. So we actually take it pretty seriously. When a new message comes out for a new product, like for instance, when Einstein came out and everyone was like, whoa, Einstein, AI, big deal, big questions are gonna come to my customers. We put them through a certification and they're actually happy to do the certification because their customers are asking them questions. The last thing any salesperson wants to do is just, you know, not look confident in front of their customers. Although there's a lot of support, they are the main quarterback. And if the quarterback's not really calling the plays, well, who's calling the plays then? So certifications is a pretty big deal. And we take that very seriously, but it's also public recognition. Uh, You know, let's call it salespeople love to make money, but, Uh, There's a study out there that shows that public recognition is actually a higher justification than it is for monetary uh, justification. So really recognizing public, public recognition, and we do that by congratulating people on a public forum by providing their certification amongst their peers. Asher was just certified on the corporate pitch for Sales Cloud, for example, and that's a big deal. You know, they're ready to hit the road running. They are, whether they're new or whether they're an experienced salesperson, getting that certification badge is a big deal because they can turn around and show their customers how we do certifications inside of Salesforce. There's a lot of use cases that are out there. And I think what customers wanna see is, how do you use the tool? How do you use, how do you use uh, Sales Nimit effectively to help sell to your customers? Because there's something right that you're doing that we wanna learn about too. And that's really another piece that I think we do a really good job with.
1: Yeah, I would say the dopamine effect of accomplishing something yeah. Yeah. and reaccomplishing and sharing it out there. I feel like if you keep creating these magic moments in your, let's call it sales enablement life cycle, right? Like the person on the coming out of the other side is super energized, right? They're, and all they want to do is share. And my personal belief is that people really rise to the equation because it's really hard to do when, when there's so much coming at you, but they always fall back on the best training that they've received. And, and if the level of that training is increased over and over and over time, then they will always just know, and they will have that feel to perform their level best. And they will always make authentic connections because they don't have to worry about the material because the material is so ingrained in them.
0: Exactly. And Ashra, just as, I was, as you were speaking, I, I want to just throw in one more piece of information. People might be wondering, well, who's delivering this? Is it the product marketer that knows the messaging so well that's trying to speak the AE language? What we do here and what I, you know, not just here, but anywhere, training should be delivered by those who've been in the seat before. And I'll repeat that one more time. If you are a sales trainer, hopefully you've held a bag in the past so you gain that instant credibility when I come in front of your audience and it goes something like this. Hi, my name is Vic Mederata. I did sales for 10 years. I used to work at Salesforce for 15 years and I did sit and I, and I had a bag for so many years. So I know exactly the seats that you're in right now and I exactly how you're feeling. Oh my gosh, that filter had just dropped from that audience thinking who is this guy to be to? All right, he's on my side. I want to listen to him whatever he's saying and then you get right into it. So the way we deliver training is, it's delivered by, sorry, it's delivered for, delivered by AEs. So it's like, it's it's this SE training delivered by SEs for SEs, by AEs for AEs. That's what the magic moment is. And guess what? When we have AEs present training to other AEs, it's not in their job description to do it, but let me tell you what, they get that instant dopamine gratification that they've been honored to deliver the sales enablement to their peers and that's what's really helpful in two ways it helps them you know it makes them feel amazing and it could help for promotion but it also helps us scale there's so many vics that can go around and create so many videos but what we can do is say hey folks in Asia pac folks in EMEA that's in APAC in, in our in our european region hey who wants to sign up to help deliver the sales enablement training to all the aes in europe i tell you we have too many more we have so many more hand raises than we need so it's nice to be in that position But gosh, let me tell you that that helps us scale immensely, but also just gains credibility for the AEs and it just puts less pressure on product marketing and it allows product marketing to focus more on the positioning and delivering the content and let the AEs deliver that because they know their audience better than than anyone else would know. So make sure that you've been in the seat and that's what's going to gain instant credibility and reduce those filters that your audience may have at the beginning of your presentation.
1: Again, another fantastic point. I guess if, as I'm thinking about all the material that we've spoken about today, the one thing that comes to mind is who's deciding which sales enablement training goes when? Like, who is the the curator of the content and the life cycle? And like, do new employees of Salesforce get sales enablement training on day one? Do they have to do X number of hours
0: a year. Can you walk us a little bit through that framework? Sure. So, you know, I'll talk generally about Salesforce, but I just want to talk generally about how I think everyone should take this approach. So when we build content for a new product, it first goes through a messaging and a positioning exercise. So what are the key uh, bullet points that go on that money slide from a product marketing perspective, right? Those are the key takeaways that we need to understand first of how the product is going to be delivered to markets. We work with good go-to-market teams. And then before we even go to sales and we say sales need to know this, we, we cross-validate everything with sales leaders. Hey, top of mind, we have this, this, and this available, these three products that are coming to light. What do you want? Here is your menu. You choose what you feel because we don't know your territories. We don't know what your quotas are. We don't know what the low-hanging fruits are. We don't know a lot about your territories. You know your business. You're the CEO for your territory. We're product marketers. We're CEO for what we do, but tell us what you feel is most comfortable with you. We're not going to shove this down your throat. So we work in tandem with sales. Sales say we want A and we want C. Um, offering B, we can wait for Q two, and you know maybe we take offering B. We have it for the end of Q one. We're like great. We don't argue with it. We let them know you know what our point of view is and where the when is the product going to come GA. What what you know all the information they need to need from a product marketing perspective, but we don't deliver anything unless sales gives us the green light period. That's just how it works. And then we have the permission to work with sales after that point. And then that's the relationship That's the strongest bond in the company is sales and marketing. It's so important. And that's one of the reasons why I want to work on both sides of the, of the uh, the space here is I did sales, I did product marketing and I feel like, that's really why I'm in M&A right now because I know how both sides speak. But let me tell you, that was the best relationship that we had in the company was the relationship between sales and product marketing. And let me tell you one thing: it was never always that way. It just got better and better over time because we we're just growing immensely. So if you're a company out there that's growing, or you're a small company, there's not a good time or a bad time. Just there's always, always align with your salespeople because they're going to appreciate you more, and then vice versa. Yeah, I mean, well,
1: well said, and. And it, 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 it's not that, I want to clarify, it's not that the, we need to put the salespeople on a pedestal, it's just, we need to figure out a way to support them so that yeah. they feel extremely comfortable with what they're telling the prospect. And they don't have to make stuff up, they have to make it their own. And But until and unless they're comfortable it's going to be hard to see success. And if it's hard to see success, it's going to be hard to replicate success. And that's one of the reasons why there is so much sale A.E. turnover or sales turnover and, uh, and people, uh, because it directly impacts making quotas.
0: 100%, man. And I think the biggest deliverable you can deliver as a product marketer and the, and, the, and the most important deliverable that you can have in your back pocket as a salesperson is what we call the first call deck, or the, you may hear it as a walking deck. A first call deck is something that should be sharpened really well and consumable by account executives but also giving them the ability to take the slides that they need and they can consume and deliver that to their customer but also make sure that they're certified to deliver that message and that's what's really going to create a really good home uh, or a really good relationship between two organizations that work really closely with one another.
1: Yeah, fantastic. And any viewpoints from the marketing side of the house, right? That, that um, in relation to sales enablement. I know we we're talking a little bit about product marketing, but but the the how does all of the let's call it demand gen or performance marketing provide air cover while this sales enablement is going on? Are those two functions? coordinated as well so that sales enablement goes into the sales, uh, sales teams and they're getting prepped up, they're getting comfortable, and at the same time, there's some level of air cover t- get, uh, going on so that by the time the products in the market, the messagings fit, Like, is, is it that well orchestrated?
0: Yeah, really good question. So sales strategy works really close with sales to understand where the numbers are. So we, we'll, take a, we'll take a snapshot of where we are in a typical quarter. And by the way, I haven't worked with sales strategy. So if a sales strategist is working with this, I'm taking my best guess of what everyone does, but I know that they work really closely. They're, they're, they are watching the numbers and sometimes they'll say, tap, tap, tap on your shoulder, Asher. We feel that the pipeline is not strong enough here. Should we run a demand gen campaign to help you drive some more pipe gen here? Sales, and the, in tandem, sales may, be, may, may come back to their sales strategists, because there's sales strategists that are mapped to all um, sales teams. So they work closely with one another saying, hey, listen, like pipelines kind of dry in this area, in this part of the region. Can we work together in gaining some funds to throw some demand gen campaigns for this in this region for this product? So they work really closely with one another. So let's just take an example. Uh, If uh, a part of the region had a dry pipeline for a specific product, they would tap on the shoulder of their sales strategist partner. Sales strategists would run some numbers. We would then bring in demand gen. Demand gen would then understand where the deficiencies are in the pipeline for that affected area. And then they would possibly work with marketing to maybe run an ABM campaign or a specific product marketing campaign that helps really focus or zero in on that uh, region that maybe is struggling with pipeline and everything kind of just executed in one, one shape or form. And we might even throw an internal campaign together and we product marketing may come together with specific uh, specific talk tracks or specific you know content for that campaign. And everyone works together, the ABM team, product marketing team, strategist team, Demand Gen team, and the sales teams all together. And we're working under one platform to, all, to make sure that we're all running the same. Uh, we're talking the same language at the same time. And hopefully it yields really good results. And we use that and we repeat and rinse and repeat and rinse and repeat. But then at Salesforce, you understand that there's so many events. We use events as one of our selling uh, motions, and it's not a secret. A lot of our events are selling motions, and uh, we use that as a, as a demand gen tool uh, globally uh, to 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 help any of those deficiencies that uh, may exist in those pipeline areas.
1: Wow. Well, it sounds like everything is coordinated, right? Like years ago, I had this I had this dream where if I was ever in a sales leadership role or maybe a a revenue leadership role, we would have sales teams running out in a quarter and then we would have the partnerships team running ahead of them by one quarter. And we would have the marketing team running ahead of them by one quarter. And if you could ever get that flywheel going, right? And then there would be the customer success team following up after the quarter, right? If you ever got that motion going, they would, it's like the, the go-to-market flywheel, right? I have yet to do it, uh, but hopefully, but this sounds exactly like that. You guys are doing it at scale, which is just amazing
0: you know what asher i think it's over so many years of perfection but we're not perfect i feel like there's so many more opportunities for us to become better and you know i didn't touch on csg you mentioned support like csg is another massive uh part of the company the customer success group for those who don't know the acronym and they come in from a post sales perspective and then there's the renewals team because we're a subscription based company and that's a whole new arm that works together with sales and, and with demand gen. So uh, that's another part that I've even touched upon, but they're also involved in this special recipe uh, that I've been mentioning so far. Wow. I mean, I guess it would be hard to
1: compete with the Salesforce AE when you have an army of resources behind you.
0: You know, everyone's just in it to win it. I feel like, you know, I'm not compensated for deals to close, but, the back of my mind, I feel that everyone is willing to help close a deal. And what that means is we will bring all of our resources to the table. And we do that through the Salesforce Innovation Center. Uh, it, it was used to call the, the uh, executive briefing center, but the Salesforce Innovation Center is something remarkable. It's, it's really getting all the, the right people in the room at the right time. That's what this customer also bring in their people at the room at the right time. and Everyone's collectively there to help the customer succeed. I want to remove the word to, to sell the deal. It's helping the customer succeed. And whether that results in a customer buying something that's going to help them you know, achieve their goals or if it's something that the customer learns more about how to improve with their current Salesforce licenses, it's all about customer success. So if you can deliver that, that's really where I think everyone just wants to play a role to see the customer succeed.
1: Yeah, no, 100% of it. My favorite moment of interacting with Salesforce is we were, and I'm not going to name any specifics, but the the AE to get us to move forward was able to set up a meeting directly with the top boss of her group, like the top boss, right? Which is, I think, maybe like seven or eight levels above her, right? And And get it done. And, and when the top boss came in, he knew everything about the account. He knew exactly the pain points. It was not a rushed meeting at all. And uh, and people actually left feeling great about a relationship. And I, th- I just thought that was fantastic because this AE was, I think, maybe like two or three years into her sales career, which is how cool was that to be able to pull something off like that, right? And like in, in other co- uh, companies or like, you know, in a different time, it would be super hard to get like a, a leader of, of such a large unit to come because that person, at least traditionally, was trained to only work on the top 10% of the deals that are going to bring the 90%, you know, like all of those frameworks, right? And yeah. your philosophy seems like it's completely hit, toss that thing out and everybody matters, right? And we were, we were such a small... Uh, a little company trying to to build a relationship and and she was able to get that And I was super impressed.
0: It's really impactful and if I could give someone, and, and people love it when I talk about this little, little takeaway, it's called the DSR or the deal support request. It's a little button that we created on the opportunity record. And by the way, this is all out of the box. It's a little button you create It's using some Apex coding. And what it does, you click on the button and this, Menu opens up and it says, "What do you need? Deal support request on competitive pricing, you know, uh, product management. Do you need marketer? Who do you need? You pick the right pick. You pick the right item from the pick list, and it throws you into this workflow, and it asks you more questions about the support that you need. As soon as you click on submit, based on routing rules, it goes to the right person's queue, and they get a notification that says." You have a deal. You have a new deal support request. Here are all the details for that request. Start helping this. Start helping this account executive work on this deal. <clears throat> everyone, everyone will work on that deal support request. And if I can't work on it, you'll pass it on to someone else. And we use tools internally to help communicate the support for one another. And we have SLAs against those deal support requests. We're really transparent. And hopefully that DSR, that little button that we created there, and the and the uh, and the help that goes around the company helps you know helps that customer succeed. And whether it's you know whether it's a small little uh, uh, um, support request that the customer had, or if it's a sales opportunity, whatever it is, there that small little button, that little process really went a long way, and we still use it today. And it's been many, many, many years, and we still recommend to customers. And I love showing. That in the live demo, the DSR, it's such a cool feature to use and people can use people can implement that right away. No like add on feature, none of that stuff. It's just a simple button you use and it's really cool. There are so many nuggets of doing
1: sales enablement right in this podcast. Uh, if I ever took a sales enablement role, I'm going to sh- keep this in my archive of or uh, <laughs> playlist. So they just k- listen to it again, because it's, you're right. I mean, you actually chose the topic. Well, it's literally sales enablement simplified. And so I, I guess I'm going to ask one more time is there anything else that you've like perfected over the years that are, where you, you can be like this is a f- this is another thing that you just must do it's just going to save you five years worth of experimenting by just doing this
0: gosh i wish i could you know there's just so much asher i would love to have some takeaways but i think I'd have to come back. Okay, to you know what? We'll
1: we'll, we'll, I mean, we'll bring you onto the show towards the later part of the year, and then we'll can talk yeah. about like the new innovative things that you that you that you've, you've yeah, learned. That and
0: be fun. Sure, that'd be fun.
1: If, and we can do we like, like a
0: like like a kickoff thing and a
1: and a year end thing, basically.
0: We should like we'll ha- we'll call it like I don't know like dopamine <laughs> something <laughs> with dopamine in the title. I don't know. We can throw something in there
1: yeah or we could just keep it boring as call it the sales enablement oh, show you know
0: <laughs> not, not here's one thing we're not really sales enablement, not sales enablement primarily focused but make your commission make your commissions very transparent let them know what they're making on the deal at the end of the day that's what they really want to know so let them know what they're making let them know what they're not making make sure that that's extremely transparent and use you know, if you're running Salesforce, thank you for being a customer. Uh, it's a tool that I've been using for a long time. So like my little insertion here is, there's is a cool app on the app exchange called exactly. We use it to manage all of our commission structures. It's such a cool tool and it really helps just create a transparency in the company of how much you're making on this deal, how much could you make on this deal and a little bit goes a long way. And I think that's what's really helpful for AEs is just let them know what they're making and they will do some magical things for you. It's so simple. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's so simple. Uh, so well,
1: great. The, thank you so much for sharing. I mean, thank you so much and, and for, for spending time with us. I, I guess we normally have a differently guided podcast, but but this one was just so much full of so many little points that I just didn't want to break the flow. So I guess turning to a little bit of the 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 funner part of the the podcast. Uh, one of the things that we like to do is have our guests nominate other people that that we should bring onto the show, and we do this primarily because this this podcast never had a podcast strategy. You know, we said we wanted to build a community, and we're going to start, and then all of a sudden, you know, people started sharing the the uh, uh, the platform with other people who they respect and now this thing has become taken a life of its own and so we feel super blessed that every guest that comes onto the show leaves a little part of themselves and helps shape the trajectory of the show so to that note like who would be a couple of people or if you have three that's fine too um that you would you would recommend
0: uh that we bring onto the show a great question asher and uh, there's so many people that come to mind right away but i I, the person that I respect the most, the person that gave me the opportunity to get into the field at, uh, of sales enablement and the person that I still continue to, to speak with and, and keep in touch with is Doug Erpenbeck. Uh, we call him Erp. Uh, Doug used to work at Salesforce. Uh, he's moved on and he's doing amazing things in the sales sales enablement field. Uh, he'd be an amazing person and an inspiration to have on the show. And the second person that I highly respect that works at Salesforce at the moment that I've worked really closely with is Kevin Richardson. Kevin Richardson runs enablement for our solution engineers at the company. And imagine you know, having such a job, working with technical people that really yep. dig into the details and wanna know everything about the product. Kevin Richardson is someone that I worked really closely with and that I admire. And then he does really amazing things and he's well respected in the company. So those are the two people that come to mind right away is Doug uh, Erpenbeck and uh, again, Kevin Richardson.
1: Oh great. Well, our audience is global. And so people from all over the world, aspiring executives, seasoned executives, right, all who want to dive deeper into certain topics, listen to this show because it's, we do leave people with actionable tips versus just pure strategy. And so if people wanted to connect with you, would it be okay? And if yes, how, what would be the best way for them to connect with you?
0: Best way is LinkedIn, you know. But when you connect with LinkedIn, just reference the show. Let me know where you came from, so there's, so I'm not clicking ignore, but just some sort of soft introduction, letting me know uh, where you heard, uh, where you heard of my introduction, and kind of what you want to speak about. That way, that way, I can prioritize the conversation, and uh, we can definitely connect. But I'm more than happy to connect. Actually, I try to connect with two brand new people every day in my life. Uh, it's an interesting challenge that I put myself up to. I haven't made it all the time, but for the most part. It's something that i like to strive for. So yeah, LinkedIn is the best way to get there.
1: Yeah, super duper. And, and and to the audience, in the short time that I've known Vic, he's always tried to help. And so I would totally, if you liked what you heard today, hit him up and ask questions or learn from his experience, because I've I have yet to hear sales enablement simplified this way, at least in my tenure of doing this podcast. So Vic, Thank you so much for coming on to the show and best of luck with your journey.
0: Thank you so much for Asher. It's been a great time speaking with you and I hope people got at least five things from today's podcast that they can take away and action right away within your organization. So thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us on this episode of sunny side up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us and share these insights with your peers.